We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com the baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day Seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge, the answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 321. Hey, Scott, we get to talk about another sweep. Oh, yeah, another sweep. It's the completely opposite of the last one. We actually played a real team this time, so... It was uh, a different result. Different results indeed. And frustrating, equally frustrating result, just for different reasons, I guess. Because, you know, the, the Yankees played better, I thought. Especially in those first two games, getting to Verlander, getting to Cole a little bit, had those games. And then different parts of the team broke down. Like, I do no, you do not expect bullpen blow-ups on this team. And that's what happened. So, very frustrating series. Yeah, and not only that, not only bullpen blowups, but from two guys that you're not expecting it on the same day. <laughs> so you're you're getting like these snowball reactions almost. It's uh, it's it's frustrating to watch, especially when you feel good leaving the uh, the team that you know you should have taken care of the first time. But you know who knows? Maybe that was just a lot of smoke. Right. It's like <laughs> it's like if you uh, if you beat up on your little brother and he's half your size and right. then you get all confident and go to the playground and then you meet a real bully and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. For you, for you, maybe is that is that JJ or no? No, no. That's what JJ's going to meet me. OK, got you. Yeah. He's Spend. been beating up. He's been beating up on Frank and then he hasn't <laughs> dealt with me yet. That's true. That is that is pretty accurate. 
Uh, if uh, you guys don't know what we're talking about, JJ fired back once again uh, on George's Box episode four, which is up on its own feed. Go take a listen to that episode. Um, the guys talked about a bunch of different things uh, going on in Yankees and MLB land. Um, and so that's on their, their feed. Like we said, go rate, subscribe, review, all that good stuff. Um, Scott, and we have very soon April 13th event. We transferred all the tickets last night. So if you're coming to the event, check your email. You have your tickets. I got to tell you that I think this is the first time that we've actually said that the tickets have been transferred and every one of them has been transferred to this point. The what four three nights before four nights before. That's impressive. We're, we're yeah. really uh, we're, we're stepping up our games here. But yeah, no, all of the tickets are transferred. Um, all of the, the seat map is ready to go. We are locked and loaded. The T-shirts are arriving. A lot of people have already gotten them. Um, but the, I think the remainder of the shirts are, are today. There may be one or two trickling in tomorrow, but everybody should be getting their T-shirts. Um, so if you have any issues with that by tomorrow, let me know. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. Very excited. When you get the tickets, uh, there's a just look at the email um, that we sent the, the other night, and there's instructions on how to get them. A lot of times, you can't get the the, the ticket to download on the app in the beginning for whatever reason. It's just a crappy app in the first place. So the, the workaround is to open up your email that you got uh, from, uh, from Yankees Ticketmaster where you accept it. Just open it up on your mobile phone and then it usually will, will show your, your ticket right then and there. So the, the, the fail safe is to just screenshot your ticket or your tickets and, uh, and then you'll have them. But usually it'll work at that point once you use the browser on your mobile phone. That's like the Usually the, the one that works. Yes. And you might have to even select the full site option on your phone yeah. on the browser. So there's, it's, it's kind of weird that uh, different things work for different people. But don't worry. The tickets are there. We've always gotten people their tickets before we go into the game. We've, that, that has never failed. Not that has never failed. Yeah, we've never left <laughs> someone outside. We will never leave somebody behind. Nope, we do not leave people behind. <laughs> and we've got Big CC returning for the event on Saturday. I feel like this is... Like the second or third time we've seen CC pitch at one of these things. Yeah, no, I was kind of hoping for it. When I saw that he was going to come back this weekend, it felt like Saturday was going to be the day. So uh, I'm excited for that. I now need to print out my uh, the CC OG so we can have a nice big uh, OG poster for him. Um, and we're getting those big heads rolling. So yeah, I'm excited that he's going to be there. It'll be fun to see the big man on his last year, first start last year, BP crew event. It's all lining up. I like it. And if you guys are coming, you have your t-shirts, Send out pictures of the t-shirts. Send out pictures of you wearing the shirts and with your group of people that you're going with. Tweet us, Facebook. Send them on Facebook. Put them on Instagram. We will repost them because we want to get this thing uh, really popping. All yeah. Right. And, and, and wear your shirt Get Dame, uh, during the event. I thought that was just understood. I mean, you'd think it is considering it is the event shirt, but no, wear the shirt because when we get a whole bunch of people in one area consolidated wearing the same t-shirt, it looks cool. Maybe we should just start telling people that they can't actually get their ticket unless they have their shirt on. Yeah, the QR code actually doesn't show up unless the unless the phone sees on your reverse on your selfie camera that you're wearing the T-shirt. Maybe one of the event T-shirts can just be a giant QR code. That's a good that's idea. How, that's how they get your ticket is actually your T-shirt. Yes. Um, so the Houston series, uh, some takeaways. The like I said, the bullpen struggle. They allowed ten runs in the series. Not something you expect to happen. Um, Boone talked after last night's, after Wednesday night's game. He basically said, you know, this is not something we expect to happen all season. We expect this bullpen to be great. And I do agree with him. Um, Green has two losses on the season so far. Chapman has a loss. Adovino has a loss. And Britton, you know, doesn't have a loss, but he's maybe been the worst out of all of them. Um, very uncharacteristic of him. He's allowed eight base runners in four and two-thirds innings. Uh, including three walks. So just you're seeing a lot of uncharacteristic stuff out of a lot of these guys. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and honestly, I think there's been some strings of bad luck too, along with like for, for Zach Britton, some of those, even last night, you're, you're seeing a, um, you know, a ball thrown away from, from Glaber. You're seeing some balls that were just weirdly hit, you know, a little squib that, that stays fair, that Romine had absolutely no play on some seeing eye, um, uh, ground ball. So I don't know. It, it feels like it's the thing he's got to clean up or the walks. And I think that's, that goes for the entire bullpen. The walks are absolutely too much. Um, they can't be beating themselves up because, you know, on uh, 
the what was that the second game in Houston? Both of those both of those runners uh, in the end. I'm sorry, it was the first game, the Adovino and Britain. They both scored, and it was the difference in the game. So they got to clean that up. The walks is something that just can't happen. Yeah, and those those numbers I gave were actually as of Monday when when Britain allowed the game to to be tied and then Adovino. I still thought Adovino, for the most part, was nasty in that game. He was getting a lot of swings and misses and strikeouts, but the one walk did come back to bite him. And then, like, a broken bat swinging bunt up the first baseline. Like, there, like you're talking about kind of bad luck crap. That's it. Yeah. There were there were definitely a few of those for, for both Britain and Adovino. So I, I think that we're seeing them. Because honestly, like, the way I'm seeing Britain throw the ball, I don't think he he looks good. It's just the uh, he's walking too many guys, and I think that's leading to um, more hard-hit balls because he's not around the plate. And that's just un, very uncharacteristic of him. Are you concerned with the bullpen? No, I'm not. I'm not either. So, I mean, I I understand that people are pissed off because you don't expect to lose games when you have a lead going in late and you have your big guys on the mound. But, I, you know, it's the other things that I have saw from this Houston series, like more base running mistakes, a lot of fielding mistakes, more base runners left on, on base in, in key scoring, position, uh, uh, scoring opportunities. Those things annoy me a lot more than the bullpen blowing some games because... I'm still confident in the talent in that bullpen will find its level. Right. Well, and we just talked about the fact that a lot of the a lot of the issues, you know, walks aside, you know, were just uncharacteristic and and some just um, you know you have to roll the ball perfectly in certain areas the that that beat them. So uh, that's the when you're when you're making defensive blunders, when you're making mental errors, runners uh, mental mistakes on the base path, like that's the stuff that drives me insane. That's the stuff that. Again, it's still along the same lines, though, because it's 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 pretty easy to clean up, I think. But it's frustrating to see. Well, it's easy to it, you'd say it's easy to clean up. You'd think it's easy to clean for, up for whatever reason. This team can't clean it up. Yeah. No, you'd think you'd think, and and uh, the fact that these guys have been doing this, playing this game for their entire life, that you know a lot of these mental errors would not happen. Like you know, running out balls that are maybe foul, maybe not foul. I don't know. Run it out anyway. Brett Gar- the bunt, Brett Gardner bunt. Yeah, I mean that's and that's something that drives me nuts when I'm looking at him and I'm like talking about uncharacteristic, like Brett Gardner not running out a ball that's close. I've never, I've never seen him do that. Right. So I don't care if you see what you see; it doesn't matter unless you hear that guy yelling behind you, fair or foul, then you run. You believe him? That's that's what he said after the game, and I think that's what he thought during. It the doesn't play, matter. That the ball that's, was that's foul, the, but the whole point is that doesn't matter. What your eyes are telling you means nothing. It's only what the umpire is yelling out of his mouth is what mm-hmm. matters. Yeah, and and that that uh, that was a and, double play, an unnecessary double play that you would have had at the very least first and third and one out. Yeah, and you shouldn't be at that point. You shouldn't be taking the that scenario into your own hands by looking up and finding out what's happening. You should be running. You should be listening to the umpires. You shouldn't be looking to see what's happening. Just run. That, that's it. There's there, there's instincts, and your instincts should tell you, bust your ass down first base. And I know, like, it's it's really hard for me to, like, get on Brett Gardner for this because I've never seen him do it, really, in his entire Yankee career. It's just not him. Um, so it was, it was just a weird thing. It's a weird week. He hasn't looked great in center field either. And no. the the triple last night that he allowed to go past him, that's the only reason it was a triple. And he also had an error on Tuesday night that could have been affected by Clint Frazier darting right at him from left field in the gap. Um, but, you know, Frazier in left field too. Two ball, he dove for two balls, and they both clanked off of his glove. Mm-hmm. Um, the StatCast tweeted out the catch probabilities on these things. So the first one on the Brantley one in the second inning was 50%. I was actually surprised it was that high, that, that yeah, ball. That, I thought that was a really tough play. Right. Um, I agree. But, I thought that was a hard play. Right. But again, I, it, a lot of it depends on angle of the ball and hang time and all that stuff. He dove, had to dive sideways towards the line. It clanked off his glove. Understandable. The one in the seventh inning when he's running straight on, I don't even know if he needed to dive. Could he have shoestring ke- uh, catched that? I mean that, or you see a lot of guys. I think get into like a slide just so that they can stay in front of the ball and their head up. Because when you dive forward, then your head starts moving, you know, up and down a little bit, and and your glove position is not as it's not going to be as accurate because your head's not in the same place. Whereas if you slide feet first, you can control your body and your head motion a little bit better and actually stay more in control of the catch. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think he needed to dive. I think he, I think he could have he could have caught it. He could have uh, gone something, done something uh, a little bit better. 
uh, as far as uh, technique and catching that ball. But that first one, you know, if we're looking at the probability and, and why it was so high, because when you're looking at it on tape and when you see how how he did have to dive for it, I mean, one, he got to the ball, the ball hit his glove. He was in he was in position with that dive. Um, but, you know, also you have to look at the, the angle he took to the ball, the, the first step on the ball, all of these things, like where are his instincts in left field at this point? When we're when we're seeing um, you know line drives like this that are a little bit harder to read, how is Clint Frazier handling them? And so far, not so well. The second one had a ninety-five percent catch probability, and he didn't make the play, and it ended up costing the Yankees. Uh, and then I thought he showed that he was tentative to dive for balls. The one late in that game on Tuesday, and then one on Wednesday night, and that's a problem. If he's going to start being tentative out in the field, then we have a problem. I I can almost live with just not making the play, but then if you're pulling up on balls that maybe you could have caught, I, I, it's like, come on. How about Brett Gardner going after a, uh, a ball that's in front of him with, with nobody on and two outs and allowing the guy to get to second base when he had zero chance. This was last night um, when, when he's diving and literally, I mean, he's, he, he dives and then has to knock the ball down on the bounce because he's so far away from it. I mean, there's, these are just all mental blunders in the field. And, and that one, like that one, the runner didn't score, but the runner very easily could have scored because he was now in scoring position with two outs when right. all I you do is argument. keep that ball in front of you. Keep that ball hate, in front of you and keep him at first. I hate the argument that people will say, oh, well, he didn't score. It didn't cost him. It doesn't matter. Runner in scoring position, that costs a pitcher mental energy, physical energy, and more pitches. It does, yeah, but it also puts a, a guy that's in position. Whereas if you, you field that ball, Look, the bottom line is you had no chance to catch it, so don't don't do that with two outs. You need to be a little bit more conservative with two outs and nobody on, uh, and keep that runner out of scoring position. Because yeah, we're we're not going to get mad about that. But what happens when that happens down the line and that runner does score? These are all things that will will come into play later. So yeah, it's important to know the situation and and to uh, you know treat it as such. The play that I thought really epitomized just the the boneheadedness of the Yankees was in the third inning on Tuesday, there's a base hit to left field. Frazier is throwing the ball to third base and both Glaber and Loisica are covering third base. Glaber cuts off the throw like he's intercepting the damn thing. And then the third baseman, Urshela, is just standing there behind him like with his thumb up his ass. Like, what is going on here? Well, so that play was weird because the shift was on, right? Like they were, yeah. everybody was over. So um, I saw, I watched the replay. When I saw the the cluster that happened to third base, I'm like, what What was the breakdown here? And it was, um, it was Loisiga late getting to the bag because when Glaber looked over, Loisiga was still booking it to the bag. And then after that, you know, Torres just basically, you know, went to the bag, didn't look again to see where he was. He he initially saw that he wasn't there yet, so he was just beelining towards the bag. Like so, I kind of get it on his end. He was it was it was just a hustle play on him because he didn't think anybody was there. But Velazquez, the pitcher, whoever that is, has to be on third base. You know, awaiting that that throw because of the shift. So yeah, it was a, yeah, it, it was a horrible been, looking play. It could have been a dangerous play too if someone if it, they it collided and actually gotten injured. But the point is, they are not. Fundamentally sound? Fundamentally, yeah, like, <laughs> I understand shift. People say, well, the shift was on. Okay. There's still, there are still roles they and shift. responsibilities for covering no, positions. What I'm saying is, isn't that what spring training is for? Practicing shifts and practicing, like, walk through. They're basically walking through plays. Pitcher fielding practice, right? You're walking through plays at slow speed. So when they happen in game time, you know exactly where you need to be. At this so point, the shift they is no know. longer an excuse. It's not an excuse anyway. It never is an excuse. The the Loisiga was late to get to third base. He was he was uh, he was watching the play a little bit too long, and was late to get over there. And and Glaber saw that there was nobody there, and then just hauled ass, and it was bang bang at that point. So I actually don't even fault Glaber at that point, just because I think when he looked up, there was nobody there. Mm-hmm. And another takeaway from the series is: can we just not pitch to Altuve anymore? Can we stop grooving him meatballs on the first pitch that he's going to hit 450 feet to the left field train tracks? Why is it still a surprise that he swings at the first pitch? Why is it still a surprise that you're not going to be able to just get out uh, with a 0-1 count on Jose Altuve, the guy that has won multiple batting titles, MVP? Um, you know, the, he's unbelievable. Pound for pound, the best player in baseball. I mean, like, this guy is ridiculous. And, and yes, he mashes that second home run. 
uh, off of Paxton was a moonball. Yeah, I was, I was, I was embarrassed for everybody else watching that on the field. It was terrible. You uh, in your post game video last night, you were you were calling him a kid, and I th- I found it funny because I was like, because you know I'm old. No, it's not even that you're old. I think it's I think that's what happens when you have a kid yourself and you become a dad. Everyone younger than you is now a kid because my dad used to do that all the time. He would call people a kid. I'm like, dad, that guy's 42. Yeah, but I started doing that well before. If you're if you're like if you're under underneath me in age on a on a baseball team, you're a kid. Okay, now so everyone's a kid. Yeah, there's Except a lot CC. of people kids. <laughs> CC's not a kid, but yeah, the majority of them are kids. I, I say once you get like you're a veteran status, you're not a kid any longer. It's yeah. just forced to habit, though. Right. Like we've talked about this before. But it's also it's, a baseball term. Like I say kid a lot just in, just about a baseball player. We, I think we've, we talked about this when the Yankees started to get a lot younger. It's weird when all of the players you're now watching are starting to be younger than you. For up until this recent, you know, 2017, 2018 team, that didn't happen for me. Yeah, I'm a crafty veteran at this. I'm, I'm used to it. Right. <laughs> I put out a poll on, uh, at Yankees Podcast. Uh, to this was after the blown lead in the seventh inning on Monday, just to just sort of gauge what people are getting angry about. What kind of Yankees loss bothers you most? And I said a blown lead after seven or an 18 team strikeout game. And I was actually surprised. 62% of people said the blown lead after the seventh inning could have been recency bias, but well, I, I think it's different. It's a different emotion. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, I get that. But for it's which one bothers you more? I mean, you're upset over both of them. I was upset over both of them. But the 18 strikeout game or or sloppy fundamentals, the stuff, all that stuff we just talked about, like I said, bothers me more as a fan than when your players are out there and you are trying, you know, Boone put his best players on the field to win. He put Zach Britton on the mound. He put Adam Adovino on the mound. They did not come through. Right. That sucks. And it's, it's annoying. But... I can live with it. Yeah, that's just a man getting beat by another guy. The other, the other stuff is is just sloppiness and uh, and and not you know big league baseball. So I agree. I, I I cannot handle watching two major league teams and watching sloppy play on the major league level. It, it just it bothers me to no end. It's it's uh, they, these guys have have been playing this game way too long to to put a, a horrible game like that together. And I know it happens occasionally, but it still bothers me. The the blown after the lead after the seventh inning, like that's baseball, Susan. I mean, you get beat some days and and some days guys don't have their best stuff. That happens. It's uh it's aggravating to watch, but uh, I can live with that more than I can live with a team beating themselves. Yeah, and it's I know it's small sample, but the Yankees are five and five when they've had a lead at any point in the game. And that's below league average. There's uh MLB league average is 700 in those games. And actually last night they technically had a lead because they had the, had the lead in the first inning. They scored a run on the Brett Gardner leadoff home run. So I think now they're five and six if they had a lead at any point in the game. Yeah, that's not good. That's not a stat you would, you'd think you'd hear with the ultimate amazing bullpen. Seems like this has been happening early in seasons. We've, we've all been so excited about the bullpen and then we're let down for a while. And then all of a sudden they're really good again. One second guess that a lot of people were, were saying is why pull Tanaka after six innings and 78 pitches in, in the Monday game and go to the bullpen. And I think this is just an easy Monday morning quarterback. I think when you watch what Tanaka did, he was great through six innings. He did exactly what you would hope against a tough Houston lineup. I thought it was a tough 78 pitches. It was He was grinding. He had to get out of a jam in the sixth inning. So I actually agreed with the move to pull him. Yeah, I mean, I think I think when you're looking at what happened in the sixth inning, uh, the the end of the um, him getting out of that, I think it was a first and third jam, and he got out of the 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 play. A lot of people were, were looking for somebody to come in at that point, but when you need a ground ball, um, and, and Tanaka was at a very manageable, I think he was at sixty some pitches at that point. You let him get through it. I mean, like that's that's your number one guy right now. You need to you need to show the confidence in him to to get through a, a situation like that. It's, I, I don't want us to always, depending on pitch count and and looking who the pitcher is, to default that if he gets in trouble in the fifth or sixth inning, that you have to go to the bullpen just because we have that bullpen where it is. We've seen now that the bullpen is human. They have. They have weaknesses at certain times, so it's not a, a given that when you go to another guy that it's going to work. Where you're in a situation and you have Tanaka, who's still, um, you know, reasonably fresh and can get the ground ball that you need, that might be your best option in the, you know, out of the pen or on the uh, staff at the at that time. So I liked it. 
Yeah, no, leave him in in the sixth inning to get him yeah. get himself out of his own jam. Totally agree with. But then you're using your eyes and you're using what the players, you know, what you're watching tell you what I need to do. And I thought it was a, the right move to go to the bullpen at that point. It didn't work out. But it was a wasted good start from Tanaka. A, another wasted good start from Tanaka, who's been excellent all season. Uh, we actually have a segment coming up that we're, we're trying a little bit different. So... Conrad Milhopt, he is one of our writers on, on Bronx Pinstripes, and he is a self-proclaimed baseball nerd. Um, he dove into some of the advanced metrics on why Tanaka has been so good. I talked to him for about 10, 12 minutes about that article that he wrote, and what we're going to do is we're going to put that into the episode right now, and Scott and I will be back after that. Joining the podcast now is Conrad Milhaupt. He is a Bronx Pinstripes writer. He's also a college student out at Stanford. And we were talking before the show, and you were talking about how you love the advanced stats and all that stuff. So I think it's fair to call you a baseball nerd, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm definitely one of these guys that will dive deep into the stat cast data and into all the other advanced metrics to try to get a fuller picture of my players. And I know, you know, that might piss off some of the listeners of the show, but that's definitely something that I love about the game is all the data that we have to analyze these players. Yeah, it's it's become something that is, you know, especially this year and with the offseason where the Yankees were, are they going to sign Machado? Are they not going to sign Harper? Blah, blah, blah. And there's you got the two factions of Yankees fans. It's the nerds versus the old school guys. And now there's infighting amongst the fans. And it is wild that this is where we are in 2019. Absolutely. I mean, you go on Twitter and there are guys just raking Cashman over the coals for his decisions. And some guys, you know, making their decisions based off wins and ERA and, you know, average and other guys like me that are going, no, no, look at his stat cast data. This guy's peaking right now. He's going to have some good years ahead of him. So definitely on any given day, you got those two warring factions of, uh, of Yankee world going at it. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's I, I find I feel that myself, I fall in both camps and I and I try and take, you know, an objective view of it and try and see both sides and I think like what you wrote about Tanaka earlier this week a great article on the website diving into his advanced metrics I thought was a great way to look at his early season success because after three starts looking at just ERA or something like that or if some people are looking at his wins and loss records they'd be like what Tanaka's not having a good year but that's just not true Right, exactly. I think one of the things that I always try to tell people about the sabermetrics and the advanced metrics is that a lot of diehard fans, the things that they're saying about, oh, he looks good, the splitter's really moving, some of the intangible things that you think about, the advanced metrics are really all about capturing that in data, in quantitative ways. So I think that everything that the eye test would tell you is usually backed up by these advanced metrics. And that's why I like to just be a little bit more precise with those things uh, when we dive into the data. Right, and with Tanaka, what you what you wrote about is that some of these some of these advanced metrics, like he's getting fewer home, his home run rate is down, his ground ball rate is up. Those two things right there, I think, are huge steps forward for Tanaka, and especially you know first half versus second half Tanaka, because we've seen first half Tanaka struggle and the ball's just flying out of the ballpark, and it feels like he's giving up three or four home runs every start. That's not happening right now. Absolutely. I mean, you look at especially the starts against the Orioles, and I know everyone's going to come out and say the Orioles are a triple-A team, and that is true. But then again, we did drop a series to them early in the season. But anyway, yeah, no, he's done a fantastic job of keeping the balls ball on the ground. Uh, so far this year, he's rocking a 57.5% ground ball rate. And just for a frame of reference, he sits at about 40 for his career. So he's really done an excellent job of keeping that ball out of the air and keeping it low in the zone so guys aren't just teeing off and it's home run after home run like we've seen in past years right and he's still going to give up home runs like we saw him give give up a moon ball to Altuve on on Monday night so that's still going to happen like that's never going to go away that's also not only Tanaka but it's also just a product of baseball today is that home runs are going to happen and it was a solo shot didn't come back to kill him even though the Yankees blew the game they still wasted a great start from Tanaka Exactly. And I also think something that I've always noticed about Tanaka is he somehow manages to limit a lot of his home runs, the solo dingers. And I mean, again, like you said, look at that Houston start. Yes, he allowed a home run, but that was the only run that he allowed in the entire game. And actually, he's done a fantastic job of stranding runners throughout his career and especially this season. Currently, he's leaving 85 percent of runners left on base, which is just like a 
unbelievable number when guys are getting on he's just keeping them there and not letting them move and so I think you know obviously it's unrealistic to expect that to last the entire season but if he can keep up a similar type of game plan and really limit the damage on these long balls I think he's going to be set up for success all year right and another thing he's doing that you wrote about is he's fooling hitters so two things that I want you to explain O swing percentage and Z contact percentage what are those two things yeah, so I'm sure I've already got people like shutting off the podcast, rolling their eyes. But I think these are two of the absolute best statistics that are out there and super easy to understand. So if we're talking O swing percentage, really all that's saying is the chase rate. So how often are you getting batters to swing at balls that are out of the zone? So this is basically a metric for if you're really fooling hitters, you're throwing those sliders down the way to righties or the splitters down the way to lefties. If guys are swinging out of the zone at those pitches, I think that's a really good metric for sort of how well the ball is dancing and how off balance you've got guys. So that essentially is what the O swing percentage talks about. And then if we're talking about Z contact, it's how often on a pitch in the zone is a guy when he swings able to actually make contact with the ball so unlike the o swing which you want to be very high guys are chasing all the time the z contact you want to be low because this means you know even if i'm throwing a fastball up in the zone i'm getting a guy to chase and swing but he's unable to put the bat on the ball if you've got those two things working together it really means that your stuff is just on point to start the year and it's always good to compare it to your own career average because obviously tanaka is not going to have the same numbers as a guy like Degrom or scherzer who's just got dynamite stuff you want to kind of see how is he looking compared to himself in previous years. And so far, both of those numbers, O swing and Z contact, are at career best for him, which is a good sign that he really has the hitters off balance to start this season. And when you're, look, when you're working with small data samples, which you are after three starts, those two things are even more important because if you're seeing the underlying you know, metrics like he's getting guys to swing and miss on pitches in the zone or not barrel up pitches in the zone, which is another thing he's doing well. His barrel percentage is very low this year. Then you're knowing, okay, he is, you know, the, the small that the small things that you can look at are good. So if you extrapolate that over a longer season, you know, you're going to get the, the ERA results and all the other traditional results that people look at. Exactly, because I think, you know, this is actually the article that I wrote earlier in the year about how I kind of watch early season baseball. And I think, again, I'm still someone, I'm not like Frank, who some of you may know from listening to the show, I'm not in the, you know, kill all the traditional stats camp. I think we can get some things out of the win and out of ERA over the course of a full season. But early in the year, a guy can have a 6.00 ERA, and that tells us nothing about how he's actually pitched. Just a couple of bad luck three-run home runs could be leading to all those numbers. If these underlying numbers are really looking good early in the year, it tells you more about the stuff that a guy's had, and over the course of a 160 two game season these things are really going to come out and be borne out in some of the traditional stats as well and so at what point in the season do you start to look at both stuff I think the rule of thumb that I've always heard, and I, don't, I honestly don't even know where I got this, but the rule of thumb was like by 40 games for a position player or about 10 starts for a pitcher, that's when you can really start looking at some of the traditional stats and saying, okay, regardless of what the underlying data is telling me, like now if my guy's still got a 5.0 ERA, like he's doing something wrong. That was where I was with Sonny last year. Like I kept looking and trying to find something po hopeful about it and kind of say, you know, he's going to turn it around. But after 10, 12 starts, he's still sitting at like a 6-0 ERA that's when I kind of lost hope but yeah right around that quarter way point in the season is when you can start looking at some of the other numbers to see how's the performance actually been on the field that's what's kind of crazy about Tanaka's last two seasons is you got to that 10 start point in the season and he sucked so he turned it around in both years and he was fantastic in the playoffs in both years he was the best starting pitcher the Yankees had in the 2017 playoff run but like he flips a switch after 10 starts in the season, but it looks like he flipped the switch a lot earlier this year. Yeah, and it's kind of one of these really perplexing things for someone like me that wants to believe that there's some sort of causal relationship in all these underlying numbers in the performance. Because like you look at the underlying statistics and nothing changes from that first half to the second half for Tanaka. It's the same pitch selection, same velo, same movement. Everything kind of looks similar, but you've just got these two different pitchers in the first and second half. And it really must just be a mentality thing. There's something that happens for him where in the second half of the year, call it being warmed up, 
up, whatever it is. But yeah, I mean, this year, the Yankees don't have that luxury of kind of riding out a mediocre Tanaka for the first half of the year. They need him to be nails for the entire length of the season. And so it's really encouraging to see some of these numbers early on and believe that maybe he can carry it throughout the full season this year rather than just kicking it into the into gear once the all-star break passes. Like you were saying, it's pitch mix. There's nothing obvious that is different. His three main pitches, fastball, slider, splitter, are all about his career usage percentages. So, But you were saying before we press record, there's one thing that you notice a slight difference with his splitter. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously it's too early to necessarily tell if this is what's causing success, but... His splitter has been moving a little bit more. It's had some better depth in terms of the vertical movement. And I remember last year, you just shake your head because he would have those splitters that would almost look like they were just kind of diving back into the zone. They weren't really having that vertical movement. They were more just moving like a two-seam fastball, and it would slide right into the barrel of a guy's bat, and it would be a dinger every single time. And so far this year, that vertical movement on the splitter has actually been much higher than it was at any point last season. So again, you know, three starts. We might have something to watch here in terms of why he's been so successful early it's probably a little too soon to say but that's truthfully the only thing that i've been able to find that looks any different from past years that could be a reason for his success so far yeah no i noticed he hit 95 on the radar gun monday night in houston i don't know if that was a hot gun like specifically in houston like but like that is a little bit harder than we're used to snock a throw his average fastball velocity for the season so far is not any higher than the last couple seasons he's still living around 92 but I did notice when he got into escaped a couple of jams, which he had to do, that he touched 95. Yeah, and I think this is something through the past few seasons that once in a while we see him break out of the arsenal. Like He clearly tones down the velocity because he's still probably got something in the back of his head about that elbow. But in really crucial moments, every once in a while, you'll just see the random 95, 96 on the gun. But actually, you're right. I saw it a couple times last night, and maybe he's feeling comfortable now with where he's at this many years out that he feels ready to dial up that fastball in really critical situations, get that extra little oomph uh, up in the zone or whatever it might be in a, in a big spot. Right. He's already decided he didn't opt out of his contract. He's staying with the Yankees. He's just going to whatever happens to the elbow at this point is just what's a, what's bound to happen. Right. Exactly. I think he's kind of just like, whatever, man, I'm just going to air it out. If I bust, I bust. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so would you have pulled him when Boone did 78 pitches after six innings? Because like that's the everyone is second guessing that, and I'll, I will say first, I agreed with Boone's decision to pull him. He just escaped the jam in the sixth inning, and even though it was only seventy eight pitches, I felt that he looked done with that Houston lineup. And he gave him six innings, and and if you give me six innings against Houston, I'll take my chances with the bullpen and just, you know, the bullpen shit the bed. Exactly. I think, I think if it's if we're talking a playoff game or something like that, he's a guy that I might write out just because he has that mentality of just he's gonna get outs in the big spot. But early in the year, I feel like there's no need to push him past those 78 pitches. And again, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback the decision. But like we had Ottavino, we had Britain. It seemed like it was a solid game plan going to this bullpen that we keep hearing about that we haven't quite seen so far this season. But I don't think this is one that you can really put on Boone. At the end of the day, he was. A little bit gassed it's early in the year and we're bringing in some of the best relievers in baseball that you expect to get the job done even though they didn't in this particular circumstance so all right so for all the uh, baseball nerd enthusiasts who are still with us in the podcast hope you enjoyed that breakdown of tanaka's success so far conrad where can people find you on twitter uh, you guys can find me at, at Conrad Milhop. It's just my first name on Twitter. Uh, and I'm also the same thing on Instagram if you want to follow me there. So go for it. Go f- hit that follow button. Now you can tell all your like your baseball friends. You'd be like, hey, look, me being a baseball nerd got me on the podcast. So what do you have to say now? Exactly, exactly. And maybe I converted just one or two diehard fans. Maybe they're going to open up Brooks Baseball or Baseball Savant and something and see what, uh, see what all the hype is about, about these uh, advanced metrics. All right, man. Appreciate your time. Go enjoy your, uh, the rest of your college time. So jealous Appreciate of it. you. <laughs> Good talking to you, Andrew. All right, we're back. Scott, that took uh, 30 seconds of our time, but hopefully you guys enjoyed that 12-minute that segment. Yeah, no, that's something we're going to do, too. I think we're going to bring on more of the, uh, of the writers 
uh, on occasion that have some good breakdown articles of, of the of the players. And, you know, maybe it's a situation or whatnot, but a lot of our guys go deep into the, the analytics and can can talk really well about those. Conrad's a smart kid. Go, he goes to Stanford. Um, and uh, and I think it's just it's good to, to get another perspective on some of these players and the insights on the players. So uh, I'm enjoy- I like that. And I think it's good to be a fun segment this year. Definitely. And if you guys want to go ch- uh, read that article, we're going to link it in the show notes. So go check that out. Because I honestly, I believe it's as good as any any breakdown of why Tanaka has been good as you're going to find on the Internet. So on the interwebs, interwebs on the World Wide webs. So the reason, though, why Tanaka has been so important and why I think Paxton and Tanaka need to carry this rotation is because Severino had a setback. And he had an MRI this week, showed a grade two lat strain, which shockingly is independent of the rotator cuff injury. But regardless, it's going to shut him down for six weeks, which means July. Like best case scenario now for Severino is we'll see him in July. Is this concerning to you in the fact that that one, this injury wasn't uh, wasn't found before if it was there or if it wasn't there, then why is this injury there now? What's what's. What's the difference between the first MRI and the second MRI? Like, what has changed? It's not even just the first and second MRI. It's He signed the contract, and they did a full physical on him, and everything checked out. And then a couple days later, he has the shoulder issue, and now he has a lat issue. Right, I don't but, know if, if I, the lat issue could be because he was compensating for the shoulder issue. Doing but he what? Doing what? Right, resting? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, resting, you know, yeah. personal time. <laughs> my, my point is that is like, you know, what was happening or was this something that the um, that the medical staff missed? I don't know, it's concerning. It's concerning in a, in a multiple. There, there's two things I have from this one. Like, I'm happy that it's not the shoulder still. OK, like that's, I think, good news. Honestly, if we're looking at glass half full, it's no it's not a, a, a further shoulder issue. So that's a good thing. Um, this lat injury. I'm just curious about it. I'm just curious on where where it came from. Yeah, it's a it's a very valid question. What was he doing in the last month? since he's been shut down, that could have caused a lat strain, a grade two lat strain. Right. Because that, that doesn't just come out of nowhere. Or right? was it or was it missed based on on, you, on things I that mean, they were talking so fine. about? Call and, the, you complain about the Yankees medical staff, but how, the, how could they be that incompetent where like they just don't see something on an MRI? Well, again, this is where we need the doctor, um, but I'm pretty sure MRIs are relatively specific on, on where they look. So they just may not have been looking in certain areas and the, the, the next one was taken further. But again, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Right, I'm, but I'm talking about the physical they did when he signed his 40 million extension. Oh yeah. That, I mean, that the, wasn't specific to a shoulder. That's a, that's a, we do everything. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, maybe it just wasn't apparent. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Someone, but, someone actually DM'd us on, uh, on uh, Bronx pinstripes. I'm going to get back with him. Works at Columbia medical. So, mm-hmm. and uh, willing to come on and talk. So maybe, uh, maybe we'll get some professionals on this place. Okay, we just got to make it an interesting conversation because whenever Mike Francesa has doctors on, they're the, it's the most boring thing ever. Until until Funhouse gets a hold of it. <laughs> okay, fine. You want Funhouse to get a hold of you? That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this this sucks. <laughs> like what else do you say? This sucks. Six weeks shut down. That takes him to May twenty first. Like I said, he's gonna have to ramp back up. He's gonna have to go through sp- a simulated spring training. Then he's gonna have to go through minor league games to get his his strength back. So best case scenario is we have Severino back for the second half. Yeah, I think that's what we're looking at right now. We're looking at a, a post-All-Star break uh, right around the trade deadline, which is, I don't know if that's convenient or not, if, it's, if he's going to be back before that or you know right at that time. That's might... the ace Cashman's going to acquire at the trade deadline? It, that's what, you're spin-zoning it? That's it, what you're saying? It, well, no, that, but it's also going to, it could possibly force his hand to make a move um, at the yeah. same time because of, of the uncertainty with Severino, but... You know, I think this now, now that we, now that we know what, what Severino is. And again, like this is, this is, this is still a very big, maybe this is a very big, maybe that even he comes back then, because what happens when he starts ramping it up again and we start seeing, you know, similar issues that flare up or they're just not right. So, um, I'm not, I'm not banking on him at all when it comes to this stuff, because they're going to be very careful with him. Bottom line, 
uh, and especially after the the you know the money they're giving him and his his age, they're just going to make sure that he's he's right before he comes back. So what this does is it puts that much more importance on on what we you know we've talked about with Domingo Herman, like that now when you're looking at his slot and and what he's going to be doing in the rotation is uber important because he is going to be a uh, a guy that we're going to see going taking the ball every fifth day for a while for the foreseeable future. He's in the rotation and um, you know. He's essentially taking that Severino spot. I think you're absolutely right. Cashman needs to approach this situation as if he's not going to have Severino for the season because there's so many variables between now and his return date. So what do, what does that mean? What do they do? Like you said, Herman, but do they go to other pitching alternatives? Is Gio Gonzalez then more of a lock to come up at, uh, around his April 20th opt-out? Do they go to the free agent market do they go to a, a possible trade acquisition yeah so the the problem with with Gio Gonzalez now is this April 20th opt-out and because you have Herman going well so where if he come if he were to come up then you know what are you doing are you are you um are you going to a six man at that point and you're bringing up Gio and then you're you're paying him basically for um, you know, the minimum, and then you're paying him per start with all the incentives in there so as well. $3 million automatically, and then what was it, half a mil per start? It was something like that. Yeah, so you're, you're paying him a relatively significant amount of money compared to what you'd be paying, you know, Herman or whomever you'd bring up at that point too, or even if you, you know, stretched out Sessa or something like that. Like, do we really well, expect unless... more from, from a Gio Gonzalez than uh, from Herman or honestly even Sessa the way – you know, we saw him in spring, and he's actually taken it into the regular seasons. So far, pitching pretty well, unless they fudge it and don't start him. Don't yeah, but even then, like, what's the point? Well, then it's just three million dollars, and then you use him as a, a bullpen. I'm guy. sure. I'm sure they're. You I know. Start but, Jonathan Holder every day, and then Gio Gonzalez comes in in the second inning. That's not. Gonna I don't fly. think they would do that because I think he would. I'm sure there's something in the contract stipulations as well. Probably right, yeah. but. Gonzalez, after his rough first start in AAA, had a good second start. Six innings, 10 strikeouts, uh, three hits allowed, no runs. So Yeah, AAA. Um, well, okay, the, the, AAA. The first time in AAA, he got his brains beaten in. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. That didn't matter, and nor does this matter. Are you, are you healthy? Are you, do, you, do we need him? That's the bottom. That's, that's what we're looking at. I mean, you're right. going to strike it, out a lot of guys in AAA. You should. Is the, he a better alternative than... Loisica or Sessa or, or something like that. Well, it's Herman directly. I mean, there's there, we're, with CC back, we have five guys. So uh, on April twentieth, if if everybody's uh, you know come comes up and stays healthy, you know from from what we have this weekend, we have five guys. So now what? I still think they're going to do something with CC where he does not start every fifth day. Yeah, but the, it, is that going to be Gio Gonzalez coming up and you paying him? Is, no. that, is that the option? It's probably going to be a mix of Luis Sessa and Loisica or Joe Harvey, like we saw. Like They're going to bring guys up and send guys down, I believe, uh, unless there's another injury. Then Gonzalez is certainly a lock. But, um, yeah, like uh, on, on Wednesday, that's why you know Paxton struggles. He another rough first inning. Immediately he, he's bombarded. Altuve gets him. And the second start in a row that he had the rough first inning, the first time in Baltimore he was able to settle in and get the Yankees deep into a game. This time around, he's facing a much better team, so he just wasn't able to do it. Like, he has not found a groove yet. No, and, and you know, he was, um, he was getting into a lot of deep counts. There were, uh, someone wrote in yesterday on, uh, on, on Bronx Pinstripes and the DMs just about the amount of fastballs that Paxton was throwing and, and that these guys were just... You know they were they were looking for it and hitting it because when you're when you're going into deep counts you're throwing a ton of fastballs you're you're going to leave one over the plate at some point and that's you can almost you can almost seek a fastball um, when you're when you see a guy that's struggling with control and is th- already throwing a high percentage of, of fastballs you could just sit dead red and, and wait for that thing to come in your zone and we know that this Houston Astros team can hit the fastball and hit it well so. Uh, it's a problem. It's a problem for him when he's not when he's not locating, and he's not mixing in those pitches. So we'll we'll see if there's any tinkering now with uh, with with Larry and and the amount of um, you know off speed stuff because we've seen there was a uh, we had a breakdown on Bronx Pinstripes about about uh, Paxton as well about the the usage and and the fact that it really has not changed significantly since coming over to the Yankees. He's still throwing, you know, relatively the same amount of fastballs that he was in, in, in Seattle. So we'll see if that changes. 
Yeah, it's only three starts, but I'm fine. I'm fine with him continuing to throw fastballs. That's his bread and butter. And he actually had a ton of success against Houston last year, throwing a bunch of fastballs. He was but in you their can't get behind on the Seattle. cattle. No, I, I understand that, but it's not like he. It's not like he's always been crushed by Houston, and then it's like, hey, stupid, why don't you try something different? No, he had success last year, a lot of success against Houston. So he tried. You know, he went with his approach. I'm okay with that. No, that's fine. I'm not. I'm not knocking the approach. What I'm saying is, if you're a fastball guy and you're 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 throwing, that's your pitch, and you're throwing predominantly fastballs, you need to throw that thing for a strike. You need to be able to pinpoint that thing, because if you're getting behind on the counts and you're still throwing that fastball, then then there's a problem because now the the batter is is in a significant um, a position of of strength, looking for something out over the plate, looking for something hard, knowing that he doesn't have to swing because he's in control of the count. And, and then, uh, you know, as, as Boone says, control the strike zone. Well, that's, that's, it's the opposite of that. <laughs> that's what the, the batters are doing against Paxton if he's falling behind in the count and still throwing fastballs. After Paxton was pulled, did you hear Michael Kay ask Cone if the wind affected Paxton? They were talking about it a little bit during, <laughs> and, you know, like, yeah. Well, they kept saying that, you know, do you think that, that it was a, a coincidence that the roof was open on, on the start that McHugh was there because he throws a bunch of junk and Paxton doesn't? Yeah, that's what they were talking about. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if they were, like, using it as an excuse or just talking about it to talk about it. No, Cone kind of downplayed it. I mean, can wind affect a pitcher? Yes. It's, it's certainly going to affect fly balls. I don't know. Maybe Altuve's home run would have gone 460 feet instead of 450 feet. <laughs> yeah, that that feet. second ball was not affected by the wind. I'm pretty sure it was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was taken out of the stadium before the wind even touched it. I, was, I, I joked on Twitter. I was like, Paxton, the wind affected Paxton only slightly more than what I ate for dinner affected Paxton. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. So that I'm sorry, but the wind not is not going to the wind no. is not going to affect a 95 to 97 mile an hour fastball. No, certainly not. <laughs> I mean, maybe if you're standing there and hurricane winds on the mound, you, you might get blown off the mound. But yeah, I, no, I, those winds are not going to affect him uh, throwing strikes. 95 right. miles an hour, 96 miles an hour, not happening. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, after the game, Boone sort of just talked about gave the cliches. I feel like we're close to turning the corner, and I'm just. I'm getting a little tired of all the Boone bashing. It's not because I'm like a Boone supporter, as you guys know, if you listen to me over the last year plus, you know I I criticize Boone a fair amount. But the the it's it's tire it's it's tiring when you all no matter what happens on the no matter what happens, a pitcher struggles on the mound, a batter can't get a runner in from third base, an error in the field, someone gets injured. Boone's fault. I honestly think that we just need to stop looking at the comments. <laughs> Of, of of tweets and on social media because there are just so many lunatic fans out there that don't listen to this show uh, that that have that have really no grasp of what's happening um, in reality and, and just and just get overly emotional about one thing and then just harp on it and stay on it and stay on it and stay on it. I'd like to think and I and I and just from doing the show for now our fourth year, um, the 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 people that listen to the show can can be objective and can look around and see like some maybe not but. Um, it becomes a certain point when you're looking at and, and people are blaming Boone for, you know, Britain and Adovino walking guys and, and not executing their pitches. Like, what are we doing here? Like, you're, you're working yourself up over something that's just not there. It's, it's not. You, there are plenty of things for us to get on Boone and there will be plenty of things for us to get on Boone. A lot of this, what we saw this week, not it. No, not even close. And I think. If you're listing things that why the Yankees got swept in Houston, Boone's like tenth on the list. So. Yeah, I mean, some of his things that he says are annoying and and uh, like cliche, like you said, and aggravating. I mean, even if you look at the clip last night from um, Judge talking to reporters, uh, someone asked him, it "Was like so? You know, Aaron Boone said you guys are about to turn the corner, and he just had this straight, straight cold face, like turn the corner, like like he was just mad. Like what what the hell is he talking about? We're not close." That's what it seemed like. So yeah, he's gonna say these cliche things, and that's just who he is. He's if you're a, looking, he's a for former a manager, media guy. Yeah, if you're looking for a manager to tell the media that we suck and we need to be better, and that we're not close to turning a corner, and these guys need to step up their game, Boone's never gonna say that. And the reason he's never gonna say that is because Brian Cashman hired him because he's never gonna say that. Brian Cashman does not want a manager that says stuff like that. He does not want a Billy Martin. He does not want a Lou Pinella. He wants an Aaron Boone who's going to give you the cliche answers in the media, tell you all positivity external, and 
hopefully be communicating something constructive internally. That's the thing. It's not that he's just, it's not that he's changed and that's where he is now and he's doing it because Cashman's telling him to do it. That's his personality. He's, he, that was part of the appeal, I think, to the, to the Yankees brass was that he's able to diffuse situations in the media by giving you these cliche answers and just take the, um, take the pressure off of other people. Like that's, that's his tactic. You know, what he does behind closed doors, like you said, it, we have to assume and, and just hope that there's accountability happening behind the scenes. And I do think there is. You know, whether I don't think it's all from Boone either. Like, I think that there are guys in that clubhouse who are holding each other accountable. So I, I don't think that this is a team that's walking around on, um, you know, acting like their their shit don't stink. Like they know that they're not playing well. They know that their their fundamentals are, are, are piss poor right now. Like These guys understand that. So I don't need somebody in the media to say it for me to understand that they know it. Last week, we locked ourselves into a new segment called What Awesome Thing Did Aaron Judge Do This Week? And um, second week for this segment, it was a little difficult to find, but I think I found one thing. That is when he broke up that double play by sliding into second base hard and getting down there in the sixth inning on Tuesday. That kept them out of a double play and allowed for Sanchez to then uh, hit a go-ahead double. But that is the one awesome thing that I think Aaron Judge did in the last three games. I think there's a couple. I mean, he's he's <laughs> just his presence in right field keeps runners where they are. I mean, guys are, are just scared to run on him no matter what, too. I mean, so every week we could look at that. The fact that, you know, he's fielding a ball and keeping right, runners at bay because of just who he is. Trying to find specific plays, specific awesomeness. Yeah, well, you know what? When when you strike out as, as much as he did in this Houston game or this Houston series, we're looking at uh, also presence things. Because I think even when you when you notice a guy who um, you know has some struggles at the plate, just his presence alone is is awesome enough to uh, to to keep runners at their current position. It was kind of funny as he was sliding because Altuve was cover trying to turn the double play. Judges body on the ground is like up to Altuve's neck. I'm surprised we don't have a million pictures of that comparing him sliding with his head to the height level of Altuve standing up on the bag. Right. Be better. Be better photographers. Got to get got to get that action. Yeah. Going home, I guess. So last week I told you, hey, maybe it's a good thing that they're going on the road. That'll ch- turn things around. Well, this week I'm telling you that they're go they're coming home. So home cooking, baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it was for three games. I think more of the, the fact that we were going against the Orioles pitchers and then we were in Camden Yards was the uh, deciding factor. But um, they got to sweep this one under the rug, man. They got to they got to look at it and, and, and learn from it and understand that the Astros kicked their ass and were a better team and just played overall much better. They executed better. And right now they're not close to where the Astros are, because if you're looking at, at uh, you know, potential teams that are going to be you know, at the end and, and are going to be between you and a World Series or, you know, a possible playoff matchup, like squarely look in the, the Astros' eyes because they're going to be there. And they're just a, a better team right now. And the Yankees need to understand that and, and build on what they can do because they got their asses kicked. Yeah, and they got their asses kicked in ways that you didn't think. Like, you thought, okay, if the Yankees are going to get swept, oh shit, Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole are just going to pitch shutouts like the Houston pitchers have done against the Yankees a million times. That's not what happened. The Yankees' bats actually did enough against those two pitchers to to win games. Yeah, and, and you know, that's that's an issue when you're looking at that. Like, you were put in a position where you should have won that game, but why didn't we execute it? Why, as a team, did we not execute it? And it was because of sloppiness. It was because of walks. It was because of... Um, poor fundamentals. And, and those are the things that are a huge, huge deciding factor on the, the teams that are going to go far in the playoffs and the teams that are, are going to squander off and, you know, either miss the playoffs at the end because they're, they're making bad fundamental mistakes, or they're just going to bite them in the ass in a playoff situation where every other team is, is just playing tight um, and, and not making those, those uh, silly mistakes. And you're, you're walking in, um, you know, making casual, casual mistakes that, that the New York Yankees should not make. So they just need to clean it up. Hap is going to be on the mound on Friday. Need to see something good out of him because he's had two poor starts to start the year. Sabathia is making his return, as we already said, on Saturday. Herman on Sunday, looking to build on his good, good starts. The White Sox are going with Lucas Giolito. Find that interesting. You know, he was the number one pro- pitching prospect in baseball for a little while. Ivan Nova. which Our Old friend Ivan Nova. We are seeing Sabathia versus Nova on Saturday. <laughs> That's that's classic <laughs> slash a little terrifying because if on Nova is probably going to throw like a seven, seven inning, two hit shutout. And then Carlos Radon on on Sunday. How do you think the Yankee Stadium crowd receives Ivan Nova? I'd say 
I'd say pretty well. Uh, I think that he will be lightly booed. Nova, you think Nova will be booed? Why? Just lightly, because I think Ivan Nova has been gone long enough, and enough. There's enough new fair weather Yankees fans that came in after Nova was shipped out that they don't even remember Ivan Nova. So why are but, they going to boo? But they're not going to boo. It's the couple of people who are still left over who are like, "Oh, that guy annoyed me because he was always talked about as the next great Yankee starter, and he never put it together." Boo! As they're sipping their beer, I think that I think it's going to be a uh, a warm reception. Okay. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be heavy either way, a heavily booed or a heavily warm. No, warm I think he'll seat. get. I think he'll. I think he'll get some nice, some, some nice applause. That's, I don't think Ivan Nova moves the needle very much, is what I'm saying. <clears throat> but uh, the White Sox, they're they're still in a re- rebuilding mode. Yo Moncada's off to a good start. Tim Anderson leading the league in hitting. He's batting 514, 19 for 37. So look for him to have a million hits in this series. But their pitching still stinks. So Yankees got to score a bunch of runs. They got to score a bunch of runs and they got to win these games. So they got to bring it back and they got to fix what they're doing at home and make this back into a huge home field advantage and score a million runs. That's what we need to see. We're going to be in right field in 205, and I expect lots of home runs hit to our section. Yes. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Saturday. Hope to see everybody there. Tweet us, Facebook us, uh, Instagram us with pictures. We're going to put those out. Uh, submit mailbag questions for Monday's episode. I've already seen a couple good ones come in, so looking forward to that. Uh, light up the voicemail line if you have something to say, 646-480-0342. We will talk to you on Monday. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show... We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.